this trip started, how it all began. I stood in my room, water dripping from the pajama-like pants and scarf of the Samoir kameez I had bought when I landed in Chennai, India, 11 days earlier. After days of scorching heat, air pollution, and constant noise from honking cars, the rain suddenly came over the city, cooling it and muffling the noise. Dancing seemed like the most logical and appropriate response. We danced and felt the water run down our faces, saw how the rain looked in the street lamps, smelled fresh air for the first time in days, and listened to most of my team and the Indian friends we'd made laughing at our silliness. We danced and laughed and felt free. I was in Chennai as part of a trip with my church. We had gone there to explore opportunities to support a school and do some construction projects. Naturally, I wanted to be prepared for the experience. During the six months of planning for the trip, I attended cultural training and researched as best I could in the early days of the World Wide Web to find where I could shop, where to find food, and where to exchange money without Google Maps or a travel website. In the name of preparation, I packed a backpack, a rolling bag, and a huge suitcase with a warehouse club size jar of peanut butter, crackers, electric converters, different outfits for every day, flip-flops, tennis shoes, dress shoes, sandals, extra underwear, jewelry, chargers, snacks, bathing suit, notebook, journal, Bible, pens, small purse, passport lanyard holder, belts, scarves, hats, and Lord knows what else. I grew my hair longer to use fewer products and hair appliances. I also packed a small rolling bag with several outfits, in case my luggage got lost, additional shoes, a regular camera, a video camera, books, nonfiction and fiction, depending on my mood, more snacks, and travel games. Whatever is going to happen, I was ready for it. After about a week there, I met Mike Compton, who ran an organization supporting aid workers. He traveled the world with two shirts, two pairs of pants that zip off to shorts, three pairs of boxers, and a white tank top undershirt in a backpack with deodorant, toothbrush, a Bible, and a journal. He told me that he went to a laundromat about once a week, wore the undershirt and boxers while he washed the rest of his clothes. And it planted a seed in my mind. What if, just maybe... I could live with that kind of freedom, too. As the rain stopped and our dancing slowed, I felt elated. For once, I wasn't hot and sticky. I thought about the huge suitcase in the corner of my dorm room and wondered why I had brought it. Tomorrow, I would begin the trek back to my real life and would have to lug that suitcase through the Chennai airport to Gatwick in London, where I'd take a taxi instead of the tube with my team because I couldn't manage the huge bag, my rolling bag, and a backpack. I'd then have to lug all that baggage over to Heathrow Airport to check it and then pick it up in baggage claim three days from now when my family picked me up from the airport. What had I even put in that bag that seemed so important? I went back to my room, sat down on the bed, and opened the giant suitcase that I'd barely touched in the last week. The crackers were smushed and uneaten. The bathing suit still rolled in its corner. Oh good, I still had the 64-ounce can of peanut butter unopened. That had clearly come in handy. It would take many years before I came to understand that most of the items in the large suitcase were only there to mitigate my fear. I didn't need them. Turns out I'd been doing the same thing in my life. 
collecting things I didn't need to assuage the fear that weren't connected to the realities of my life anymore. Maybe you can relate. Because while you may not have laid in bed at age five wondering why mom and dad didn't care enough about you to keep even a jar of peanut butter in the house so you wouldn't go to bed hungry, you have your own traumas and bad memories and the coping skills you developed as a child as workarounds. Some of them have likely served you very well. And maybe it's time to let some of them go so you can do other things. That's what this book is about. 20 years later, I can travel with two pairs of black stretchy pants that pass for yoga pants and dress pants, three shirts and a jacket. Could I bring more? Sure. Do I sometimes choose to bring more? Absolutely. But the freedom of knowing I can get those $24 no-check bags plane tickets to fly to Orlando has literally been life-changing. Are you ready to put down some of that old baggage too? The rubbish of broken relationships, broken promises, abandonment, fear of failure, fear of success, or trauma all add up over time. The good news is you can put it down. The bad news is the unpacking process might be kind of gross. And that's why we're doing this together. Because believe me when I tell you, nobody goes through this process alone. Just consider me the Obi-Wan to your Luke. The hero's journey. What you, me, and Luke Skywalker have in common. I'm kind of obsessed with Joseph Campbell's concept of the hero's journey, and I'm in good company. In fact, after reading Campbell, George Lucas wrote the original Star Wars movie, which is quite possibly the most beautiful example of this concept. Campbell's thesis is that there are a series of similar plot lines that come up over and over again throughout human mythology and history. No matter where you are in the world, or universe, you'll see the same story play out. A hero receives a call to adventure. This is called the inciting incident. It's an invitation to embark on a journey that will take them out of their comfort zone and provide new challenges. Think innocent farm boy Luke accidentally receives a holographic message from Princess Leia pleading for help. The hero refuses the call. Luke has to stay home and help Uncle Owen with the farm, remember? The hero meets a mentor. Obi-Wan. Now that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Equipped with the mentor's training and support, they face challenges, gather allies, and transform. Luke learns from Obi-Wan, meets Han and Chewie, and together they rescue Leia and defeat the Death Star. And finally, they return home victorious. Luke, Leia, Han, and Chewie all receive medals for their bravery and are applauded by their friends and allies. In your life, you star as the hero of the story. You might not get a holographic message from Princess Leia, but you will regularly face your own inciting incidents. Your call to action may involve something terrible, like a job loss, a relationship ending, or the death of a loved one. Your call to adventure could take shape as the voice that nags you while trying to fall asleep at night, the general restlessness with your life, the pain in your knees and back, or those extra 25 pounds you seem to lose and regain. These calls to action can be exciting or off-putting. After all, inciting incidents demonstrate to the hero the flaws in their life. Like all good heroes, you'll resist the call. Your refusal could look like telling your therapist you don't need to feel your feelings, or it could be ignoring the advice to forgive. It could 
even be eating one more bag of Doritos. This refusal can last for a long time. It may be weeks, months, or years as you wander about trying to convince yourself everything is fine. The journey only continues when you discover a mentor to guide you. This could be a coach, a therapist, a mentor, or even someone you learn from via a book like this one. Now, a lot of people see getting a mentor as the end-all be-all step. But here's the thing. There's still one more big decision to make. Once you have your mentor, you still have to cross the threshold into the unknown and commit to that thing you previously refused. And friend, I'll tell you, it is not fun. It can be incredibly scary to commit to the unknown, especially because you'll eventually reach a point of no return. Whatever you were trying to avoid in your refusal of the call, it's going to come up here. As the hero, you enter the innermost cave, where you're faced with your deepest doubts and fears. These fears are sometimes represented as a dragon, and you think that you need to slay the dragon. However, while in the cave, you discover that you are the dragon, and instead of slaying the dragon, you need to embrace the dragon, the fear, as part of yourself. Finally, the hero emerges from the cave and returns to their land to share their transformation. This metamorphosis creates hope for others facing the same obstacles the hero faced. In fact, I went through my own hero's journey on my way to writing this book. In December of 2020, I tested positive for COVID-19. I endured weeks of exhaustion, unable to even leave the couch long enough to answer emails, and I glimpsed what the future might look like if I became unhealthier as I aged. In the previous months, I had noticed that I was feeling really good about my life, but also had a hairpin trigger on my anger. My therapist suspected the anger was stemming from some unresolved grief. I suspect that maybe I needed a new therapist because I sure didn't want to face any grief. And then I very publicly lost my job at a local housing agency, bringing up even more grief. The work at the housing authority had been very hard, but also rewarding and satisfying, and now it was gone. I was also about two months into a weight loss journey. I'd made great progress at losing weight and understanding why I ate, but I still struggled when my therapist said I needed to learn to feel my feelings if I wanted to keep the weight off long term. What do you mean feel my feelings? Of course I feel my feelings. Otherwise, I wouldn't be tempted to eat another brownie, drink my third whiskey, or watch the seventh hour in a row of that TV show I've seen six times, I told her. Clearly, I was feeling the feeling of exasperation. What did she know? Little did I know, but this conversation led to crossing the threshold for me. I got curious about what she meant. I don't like feeling confused. I want to understand what my therapist, who I'm paying good money to help me, is trying to explain. And so I started looking into this feeling your feelings thing. I finally hit the point of no return when I heard about Victoria Song's work in Bending Reality. She explained emotions from her Harvard MBA venture capitalist perspective, explaining that when you increase your capacity to be with uncomfortable emotions instead of numbing, avoiding, diminishing, or projecting them onto others, it actually gives you power. Further, she reassured me that at every new level of success, you will experience new fears, so there's no point in waiting until you have no fear. I had never heard anyone talk like this about feelings or emotions before. 
I was much more used to people who looked like they were about to teach a yoga class being all Zen saying stupid things like allow the discomfort. Why would I do that? I believed your thoughts create your feelings. So if you had a feeling you didn't like, you needed to capture that thought and change it to something that served you, right? I was feeling huge changes, but it wasn't over yet. My approach to the innermost cave began with being tagged on a Facebook post about a friend's certification in grief recovery. Since I had documented my journey to understand grief on Facebook, a friend made the connection. I enrolled in a seven-session process outlined in the book Grief Recovery Method to understand grief in a completely new, systematic way. I decided that if I was going to pay for assistance, maybe I needed to explore this grief thing. For me, I had to lean into the grief recovery process while embracing what I learned from bending reality. When I was first learning this process, I fumbled through it. I didn't know how to imagine a problem to get things going. I was just aware that I was struggling with recurring thoughts that kept bringing up the idea that I'm not valuable. During my work with the grief recovery method, I wanted to give myself an opportunity to sit with my feelings and create space to feel them. I was really tired the first night, so I thought, I'll go to bed early and give myself space to feel them. The next thing I knew, I was binge-watching a crime drama. The next day, I had a light schedule, so in the afternoon, I went to my bedroom to feel my feelings. Every time I tuned in to what was happening with my body, I found myself on my phone shopping, unpacking my suitcase, looking under my bed for a charger, everything except feeling my feelings. That afternoon, I sent a message to my grief recovery facilitator to ask if I could book more time the next day because I was struggling to feel anything on my own and wanted to work through the next step. She recommended I book a three-hour marathon session the next day so we could finish the process in one sitting and see it through. While that sounded terrifying, I did it. I have a firm belief that I do hard things well. The next morning, my husband was stuck on something, and he said, I don't know what you mean by feel your feelings. So I started walking him through the process. I was doing it right alongside him. The next thing I knew, I was curled up in a ball with his arms around me, crying my eyes out. When I finished crying, probably less than 15 minutes later, he said, I thought you were going to tell me, not show me. Yeah, me too. Later, I went to my grief recovery appointment. I worked through the process as prescribed in the handbook. One of the things I like about the grief recovery process is that you not only process your grief, but you also learn to sit with someone processing their grief. So the facilitator and I were in two different rooms doing the worksheets separately. When I finished a certain part of the exercise, I needed to let her know so we could go over it together. I was feeling a lot of energy coursing around in my body. I stood up and jumped around. I felt like shaking my hands like you are trying to fling water off of them. While I was doing this, I was saying in my head over and over again, I'm not valuable. I had learned from bending reality that emotion is energy in motion, and I needed to finish releasing this. I told the facilitator I would be back in a moment, and I went for a run. I ran while repeating over and over again, I'm not valuable. When I started running, the sensation seemed like a swirl of smoke in my brain. When it finally dissipated, I stopped running and went back to finish the session. Luckily, I'd already cleared a lot out and only had to run about two blocks before I was able to return to the session. This first instance of feeling my feelings by tuning into my body was the most difficult. After this, I stopped fighting it so hard and was able to allow myself to feel much more easily. Even so, 
I have still not learned to clear really hard emotions all by myself. My therapist, Anne, said it's because our body fights being in pain and being alone, so we may struggle to do this in isolation. And as I continued in my processing, I realized that I had experienced what most people would consider a successful life. I'd been married for over 25 years, I had adult children who liked me, and I was relatively financially stable. When I got fired, I was able to work on this book for over a year before I had to go back to work. But my mental chatter was way too negative for my liking. I wanted to be successful and to like myself. Completing those processes created peace and a path forward, truly providing me with the reward I sought on my journey. And as my mental chatter became less and less critical, I knew I wanted to share that experience with others. So I'm sharing it with you. We're going to talk through everything you need to know so that you too can go on the hero's journey, feel your feelings, and finally live the life you want to live, ultimately feel the way you want to feel. We'll start by talking through how these limitations get formed in us. Surprise! It's not any kind of failing on your part. It's actually your biological wiring doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Then, once you understand the biology of motivation, stress, and meaning-making, we'll start talking about how you can unwind glitchy files that will keep you stuck. We'll actually start closing some old emotional loops together. Finally, we'll wrap up by troubleshooting some common scenarios and talking through what it looks like to live with your newly calibrated nervous system and way of moving through the world. Now, you have a choice to make. If you're reading this and feel like putting this book down or throwing it across the room, you're not alone. People often want to avoid the hero's journey or treat it as optional. Who cares if life registers as meh? So what if you're carrying an extra 25 pounds? Maybe you are a jerk to yourself in your head. No one really has to know, right? Live an ideal life. Are you kidding? That's for the likes of those people. You know the ones that believe personal development actually works? The honest truth? It's up to you. But if you think back to that original journey we talked about, then you have a choice to make. Do you want to keep carrying that heavy bag? Or are you maybe ready to put the peanut butter down? Here's to your journey. 